Peace, peace. We are back once again with Masterminds with Brother Shamel. I'm your host, Brother Shamel, and I am happy to be back once again with another episode. Uh, as always, I like to say that I thank each and every one of you who have been supporting this podcast, uh, my day ones who have been um, supporting me from day one, uh, my new supporters. Um, those who have been tuning in recently and just overall I I appreciate all the love and support that I get and I even appreciate the criticism um, I, I appreciate the critics as well I know there are some some of those who uh, have taken issue with some of the information that I put out um, disagreed with it and that's fine um, some have taken issue with uh, whether I should even be disseminating this information and to which my my humble response is that uh, if the most high placed it on my heart then it must be for me to do you know Um, this doesn't come from a place of boasting of superior understanding because I know each one of us has their own measure you know I'm not looking for converts Uh, or anything of that nature Uh, I'm just sharing what I've come across the information I've come across and I think is could be of benefit for those who see benefit in it if you don't see any benefit in it that's fine Uh, but I do think it's useful I do think it's necessary information um, for those who are true seekers of, of spiritual light of enlightenment of that higher knowledge that can transform us. Um, so with that, I will continue doing what I'm doing as long as um, the Most High allows me to do it. So with that, I'll begin with our uh, topic of the day. Uh, the title of this is called Four Corners of the World. Um, and this is in tie, this is tied into of the aspect of the Morris questionnaire where the question is asked um, what is an angel an angel is the thought of a law manifested in human flesh what are angels used for to carry messages to the four corners of the world to all nations um, so I'm actually going to start with, as always, with a reading from uh, from the Circle 7. I'm going to start at chapter 17, and I will start with verse 5, and it says as follows. Allah speaks to man, not by an oracle of wood or go- and gold, but by the voice of man. The gods have spoken to the Greeks in kindred tongues through images made by man. But Allah, the one, now speaks to man through Jesus, the only son who was and is and evermore will be. This oracle shall fail. The living oracle of Allah, the one, will not fail. Apollo knew the man who spoke. He knew it was the Nazarene who once had taught 
the wise men in the Acropolis and had rebuked the idol worshipers upon the Athens beach. And in a moment, Jesus stood before Apollo in the silent brotherhood and said, Behold, for I have risen from the dead with gifts for men. I bring to you the title of your vast estate. All power in heaven and earth is mine. To you, I give all power in heaven and earth. Go forth and teach the nations of the earth the gospel of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal life through Jesus, the love of Allah made manifest to men. And then he clasped Apollo's hand and said, my human flesh was changed to higher form by love divine and I can manifest in flesh or in the higher planes of life at will. What I can do all men can do. Go teach the gospel of the omnipotence of man. So I'll just stop there. So here you have this story about Jesus um, going uh, before a set of people, the silent brotherhood in Greece, and just bringing the, the message after his transformation and speaking about the possibilities of man being able to transform and transmute from human flesh to flesh divine. When he said, my human flesh was changed to higher form by love divine. Or some people would say divine love. By love divine and I can manifest in flesh or in the higher planes of life at will. Now, I'm going to um, go a little bit into um, why I decided to speak on this subject matter um, for this episode. And what I will be doing is I will actually be um, going into sections of my book, Who is Elohim, for this. But the, um, the thought to do this particular topic came upon me. Um, the night before, a shadow hour before, where um, I was reading a book that was given to me as a gift by my wife. The name of the book is Tracking Time Codes, a 13-moon um, synchronometer workbook. I always mess up words, so that long word, synchronometer, I think that's correct. Um, but Nonetheless, this particular, as you can tell from the title, deals with um, the aspect of the 13-moon calendar, um, study of the 13-moon calendar. So the, the concept behind the 13-moon calendar is basically, basically the aspect that the time is based off of the moon, the cycles of the moon. Right, and the measuring, which is more natural than the Gregorian calendar, uh, which you have added days, you know, you have leap years, things of that nature. But and there's various different systems that applied 13 moons. Um, a lot of Native American, um, 
tribes employed the 13 moons. Specifically, when you see the turtle shell, that thir- um, a lot of them would use the turtle shell as kind of like a calendar because the way the turtle shell is designed with um, that they would use to mark 13 u- moons in 28 days, which would actually be the actual natural month. Month coming from um, etymology of month meaning moon. So a true true month is 28 days, which of course would be um, your four weeks, lack of a better word, with seven days in it, as opposed to your 30-day months. So um, getting into natural lunar time, et cetera, et cetera. But the... I was reading this book, and I'll, I'll be honest, this particular book, it's interesting. It's, it definitely has a lot of inf- interesting information. Um, some of the information I thought to be quite intriguing and even useful. Some of it I was a little iffy on. Some I was like, eh. Some of the information I took issue with for a number of reasons, but overall it definitely is an interesting read, and I'm able to um, take out of it the valuable parts of it. But um, what got me on to this journey to come up with this topic was in the particular book it speaks about um, what they call Syrian timing or the the Syrian um, cosmic cycle coming from the Sirius star system, which is a binary star system. Now, their rationale of it was that they say that Sirius B takes approximately 52 years, so they're saying that that's the basis of the 52-year solar cycle, right? Um, they, they call it the Syrian will. However, when you go into other sources that speak about Sirius B, they never say 52 years. They always say 50 years. And I even mentioned that in my book, uh, Who is Elohim? Because I spoke about the Dogon and the Sirius B star and Sirius A um, star. So that being said, um, I was just intrigued by that aspect of it. But also later on in the book, it started to talk about the brain and it likened the brain to a cube um, to a cube that they called the um, it was a system called the 441 cube matrix system so let me kind of this this may just bear with me on it because it may seem like it's not making any sense but let me break it down I'll try to break it down as simple as I could possibly break this down. So they teach in this system, and they call it the law of time, that the brain is divided into four quadrants. So that's first and foremost, four quadrants. And within the four quadrants, um, there is also what you would they call would have they call it seven gates of the brain okay that 
relate to the seven chakras. And most people who study this information are familiar with the seven chakras, so we won't go there. But I have a book, What is the Higher Self, that goes into that. That being said, within the seven gates that they speak about in the brain, there is the the peak number, the main number of focus is a number called 441. Now, 441, they say, is the matrix, the, the matrix, the cube matrix system. Now, the significance of 441 is a couple of things, which is what sparked my interest to really go into this. 441 is 21 squared. 21 times 21, which is 21 squared equals 441. 21 is 3 times 7. So anyone who knows what I teach, I always speak about the law of 3 and the law of 7, which is the most clearly explained within the um, you know the um, chapter 11 where it speaks about the trial and the law um, and I'll just read it you know chapter 20 um, chapter 11 verses 21 20 to 23 where it says from Allah's own record book we read the trial and the law trial and three read forth and stood seven spirits before his face the Hebrews call these seven spirits Elohim, and these are they who, in their boundless power, created everything that is or was. These spirits of the triune Allah moved on the face of boundless space, and seven ethers were, and every ether had its form of life. These forms of life were but the thought of Allah clothed in the substance of their ether planes okay now we're dealing with thought the brain and the thought now what is thought thought is defined as an idea plan conception or opinion produced by mental activity okay and when you get the etymology of thought that comes from the old english and meaning to conceive within the mind so it deals with conception okay so, and then there's those, as I mentioned before, that um, say that the word thought ties back to the name Thoth, which is the comedic um, deity of wisdom. So, that being said, just taking it from there, okay, the three and the seven, so that gives you 20, that gives you 21. Also, 21 would also be the 21 would be the sum of the first six numerals one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six equals 21 so you have seven numbers the seventh number being the sum of the previous six numbers okay so taking that alternate also the word four 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 one would be a reverse or a mirror image of one four four as in 144,000. And of course, when you add 441, you get the number nine, which is the number of completion. So this dealing with, in terms of the law of correspondence, gives a a more greater picture for those who have studied those other uh, 
those are the type of teachings. So going back, they say that the brain is divided into four quadrants. Okay. Right. And they say that within there, there are seven gates. Now, there's a doctor, a teacher, a very, very masterful teacher, I consider a master teacher, Dr. Joel Pukrum, that speaks about the seven circuits of the brain. Um, first three being reptilian brain, insect brain, and bird brain. Reptilian dealing with survival, insect dealing with groupthink, bird brain dealing with intellect. Intellect would be um, those who intellect in the form of data. So that would be like your scientists, your astrophysicists. All they deal with is with the data. They don't go beyond the data. So they're locked into third circuit of the brain. Then she says that the fourth one deals with emotion. The fifth one deals with um, intuition. And then the sixth and the seventh of the higher um, mental capacities that deals with the more cosmic uh, intelligence. So those that being said, you have I, I noticed I just and I they had a diagram so it came across to me that this is directly in relation to the symbol that Prophet Noble Drali revealed to the members of his of his organization, More Science Temple of America, as Circle Seven. And why would I say that? Because when you look at that image, you are looking at actually the the quadrants. Now, I have to put this in the context of what I mean when I say the quadrants. So this will actually tie in to what I've written in the book, How Many Days Are in the Circle, which is very important because when you deal with that book, that particular book, that actually gets into a whole aspect of what I've been trying to explain in that context of that information because they're not teaching this information to us the way it needs to be taught so I'll just kind of get into that I'll be digging into that as well but um, so I'm actually going into the aspect of reading that so to kind of give you the concept of dealing with time, space, and the aspect of mind, of the quadrants, right? So remember I said before, right, what is an angel? An angel is a thought of a law manifested in human flesh. What are angels used for? To carry message to the four corners of the world to all nations, right? So, the etymology of the word quadrant comes from the, the Middle French quadrant, right? Meaning fourth part. Okay. 
It's also known as um, comes from the word quadrari, which means to make square, to put in order, arrange, complete, run parallel, be exact. Uh, figuratively meaning to be proper. Okay? Now, the square and the circle are parallel in the sense that they are both geometrical shapes that consist of 360 degrees. However, the circle is round and while the circle is round, the square possesses four corners. Each corner is 90 degrees. 90 degrees times four gives you 360. Right? So, again, when you go to the book of Revelations, chapter 7, verse 1, you have a phrase that's known as the four corners of the earth, where it states, and after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Okay? So, the four corners of the earth. Now, that language is accommodated to the predominant manner of speaking about earth among the ancient Hebrews. Okay? It was usual to, among them, to depict earth as a vast plain, possessing four corners. Okay, now I'm going to imply the apply the law of correspondence with this very soon, and we're going to get more into it in our late in our later half. But those corners are actual four directional points: north, south, east, and west. Today, we converse of the four winds, the four corners of the world, etc. Right. But the ancient Hebrews, Hebrews spoke of earth as we do of the sunrise and sunset and of the celestial bodies moving, okay, based on appearance, right? Like if you say sunrise, we know that according to astronomy, the sun doesn't rise or set. However, it appears to do that, okay? So... That is based on appearance without pointing at any astronomical accuracy, basically. Okay, so now, how does this also apply with those keys that I mentioned, which is key 38 and 39 of the Morse questionnaire? What is an angel and what are angels used for? So, the Hebrew word malak is the standard Hebrew Bible word for messenger. Okay, both human and divine. Human messages are also denoted by the term shalia as well. In the King James Version of the Bible, King James Bible, the word malak is translated as angel, messenger, and ambassadors. So likewise, the word Elohim is translated in the same Bible as God's angels and judges, right? When we talk about the Elohim, okay? And remember, I just said that the Hebrew that the Hebrew called these seven created spirits Elohim, 
So that means that there was others, groups of people that was calling these seven created spirits something else in their language. Okay. So going back to the word malak, malak comes from the verbal um, root, which means to send a message. Okay. So these angels are actually divine thoughts that carry messages to all parts of man. That is to all nations. Man as a spiritual being is likened to a temple or the holy city. So there are angels that guard the gates of the city, right? So that's why you have in key 68 of the questionnaire what people represent the higher self the angels who protect the holy city of Mecca now in the book of revelations now remember I told you in that book um, that I was reading it states that there are seven gates in the brain now in the book of revelations it speaks of 12 gates so when you go to the book of Revelations, chapter 21, verse 13, it states as follows. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. That's three gates for each direction. Three times four equals 12. Okay? So even with that, and even in ancient Kemet, there's something known as the Book of Gates. The Book of Gates is an ancient comedic funerary text dating from the New Kingdom. And it describes the passage of the soul that has transitioned from the plane of things made manifest to the plane of soul corresponding to the journey of the sun through the underworld during the shadow hours, also known as night. In that description the soul is obligated to pass through a series of gates at different stages in the journey each gate is associated with a different neturt or goddess and requires that the soul identify the quality of that deity so this text implies that some souls will pass through unharmed while others will suffer pain in a quote-unquote lake of fire which simply symbolize the burning out of man's desires. So keep in mind that these 12 gates and 12 deities simply represent the 12 powers of man. In fact, there's a book that's entitled The 12 Powers of Man um, by a man named um, Charles Fillmore. And he speaks about that. So um, I'll actually read a section of that. And it states as follows. The subconscious realm in man has 12 great centers of action with 12 presiding egos or identities. When man had, a, when Jesus had attained a certain soul development, he called his apostles to him. This means that when man is developing out of mere personal consciousness into spiritual consciousness, he begins to train deeper and larger powers. He sends his thought down into the centers of his organism and through his word quickens them to life 
where before his powers have worked in the personal, now they begin to expand and work in the universal. Okay? And each of the 12 personalities of man's consciousness, that would be your 12 angels, has control over a particular function in the soul and or the body of flesh. Each personality operates via a collection of nerve cells that is classified as the ganglionic center. Okay? So there's a lot more to really get into that. There's also a book you can read called 12 Gates, A Spiritual Passage Through the Egyptian Books of the Dead um, by John A. Rush. And that speaks about the Amduat. And we're going to get more into that as well as more into the Dogon in the other half. What is Amduat? The Amduat literally means that which is in the afterworld, um, which is also translated as text of the hidden chamber, which is in the underworld, and the book of what is in the underworld. And the Amduat is, a, as I mentioned, is a significant comedic funerary text of the New Kingdom. Okay? So, like most funerary texts, it's found inscribed on the inside of the Pharaoh's tomb for reference. However, like others, it was only reserved for Pharaohs of high nobility. So, this text is enumerated, enumerated and named the occupants of Duat, okay, which is divided into 12 regions, thus 12 gates. Now, in the ancient comedic mystery system, Duat is the realm of the dead. Duat is the realm of the god Asar, who they call Osiris, and the residence of other Neteru, right? Which would be the comedic way of saying Elohim. Now, I won't get too deep into the history of it but I'll put it in this context I want you to keep this in mind so I spoke about the journey through the Amduat now keep in mind this journey takes place within a span of 12 hours this measure of time is represented by the circle the sun must reach the four directions of north, south, east, and west within that circle, that circle of 12 hours. This completion perfects man. Perfection is represented by the number seven. You get what I'm saying? You follow what I'm saying? North, south, east, west, completion, circle, perfection of man, number seven. So this goes into one of the deeper meanings of the symbol known to uh, many Moorish American Muslims as the Circle Seven. Okay, and again, there are those who will disagree with me, but that's fine. I I accept that as well. 
like I said, this is my measure of understanding. Now I put a whole book out on it. How many days are in the circle to speak on this? Um, so a true circle, right? When you look at that symbol that I've mentioned, and I've mentioned this time and time before, um, what we're seeing in the that symbol that we call the circle seven is not a true circle because a true circle is actually a closed round shape with no open breaks in it. That which is called the circle seven is actually four congruent arcs which do not intersect or touch in any way and they are positioned in such a way that it gives the impression of a circle right with the number seven in the middle of the four arcs now in geometry an arc is known as a closed segment of an in, of a differential curve okay so just give you an example in the plane um, if you look at the uh, the drawing of what they would call a plane the segment of the circle would be identified as the circular arc now in universal space if that if the arc is identified as a part of a great circle, like a like an eclipse, it is known as the great arc. So, arc also in the etymology also means bow. Okay, so the etymology of the word arc and the positions of the four arcs in the circle seven ties indirectly with the rainbow mentioned in the book of Genesis okay now what is it about the book of Genesis Elohim makes a promise of commitment to Noah and the word Noah means comfort right so you find in Genesis chapter 9 verses 1 to 17 this particular fact right now here's the thing Elohim blesses Noah with the same verbiage that is used in the Genesis creation narrative which is be fruitful and increase and fill the earth be fruitful and multiply it's the same statement same affirmation that was given to Adam is given to Noah okay so in the book of Genesis chapter 9 verses 8 to 7 it states and God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him saying and I behold I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl of the cattle and of every beast of earth of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth and I will establish my covenant with you neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood neither 
shall there be any more neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth and God said this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations now here's the, here's the main part I do set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh and the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth and God said unto Noah this is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth now here's the thing about the rainbow they call this the rainbow covenant right the rainbow is founded on some fundamental aspects of physics right um, Isaac Newton did a did an experiment with the light through the prism and you know that breaks into seven main colors that's your Roy G. Bibb red, orange, yellow green blue, indigo and violet okay that's your spectrum of visible light again the seven is involved the bow, the arcs and the seven okay now because violet light has the maximum frequency and thus the smallest wavelength of visible light it is curved to a larger angle than red light at the conflicting pole of the visible light spectrum okay so the higher the frequency the smaller the wavelength the lower the frequency the larger the wavelength. So wavelength is a reciprocal of frequency. Okay? So remember that light is merely a metro electromagnetic energy that vibrates at different rates of speed. And we spoke about that a little bit in the previous uh, episode dealing with the logos. Okay? So that's just something to just think about in that aspect. Now, I can really get kind of deep into the whole rainbow aspect of it. But like I mentioned, it has seven colors, right? Rain is water. Bow is arc. Okay. Rainbow, water, arc. Get it? And how long was Noah in the arc? 40 days, 40 nights, right? So it's all symbolism in there. Okay? So even when you deal with 40, okay, 
here's the science with that. Okay, so often a rainbow is viewed when part of the firmament is dark and there's rain, you know, in a section of the in the atmosphere and the sun is illuminating, right? We talked about the light passing through the prism, breaking it up into those um, that rainbow um, refraction, refraction of white light through the prism, right? So. That being said, if the angle between the refracted light and the normal, if a drop surface is about um, about 48 degrees, okay, then the light will bounce off the back of the raindrop, okay? So... If the angle is less than 48 degrees, the light will pass through it. So it has to be literally at a, at a degrees somewhere between 40 and 48 degrees. Again, that 40, 40 days, right? And 48 is 4 plus 8, which is 12, as in the 12 gates. Okay? So the return light is refracted and leaves and leaves a raindrop okay now why am i even saying all of this okay again when we see the science of how nature works with light and water as in in rainbow then we're seeing frequency in its manifestation as a symbol of how you have to raise your vibration okay and you have to actually raise yourself past the three-dimensional world into the fourth dimension and even the fifth dimension because the fourth dimension um, they will tell you is time space but in the fifth dimension you're dealing with mind okay and the reason why that is important is because those who know about like in the Kabbalion the principle of, of mentalism which is all is mind in the, um, the universe is mental, right? They know that reality is based off a of perception. It's not absolute when you're dealing with the plane of manifest. Now, why is that important? Because once you realize that the reality here is based off of perception, then you realize that you can change your reality. And that there are those who have mastered this knowledge who are controlling your reality. If you don't master your mind, someone else will. Okay? So, these are sciences to, to understand where, we, where we're dealing with when we're raising our vibrations. So that symbolism, and that's just one symbol, is really taking us to really get to the mindset of where we can um, look beyond the plane of manifest, where we can look beyond the um, the surface, that you will. Because just the creation of a rainbow, 
that is a phenomenon just to ponder in and of itself. How does a rainbow just exist? You can't touch a rainbow, but yet you see it. So does it really exist or is it the illusion? Now, this, this will bring me into the Dogon. But before I go into the Dogon, I just want to make this point, getting back to this um, aspect of the fourth dimension. All human thought comes from a mental reservoir. So the mental body is represented by the star tetrahedron. Tetra is four. Hedron is base. So the star tetrahedron, which is also known as the star David or the Makaba vehicle of light. There's actually a form of Kabbalah known as Makaba Kabbalah. And that focuses on visions like the ones in the book of Ezekiel chapter one. Right. And uh, I mentioned about that in who is Elohim as well as how many days are in the circle. You know, the word Makaba, which literally Hebrew word literally mean a thing to ride in like a cart comes from a root word meaning to ride. Okay. And um, even the late um, spiritual healer known as Credo Mutwa um, described Makaba as a Zulu word meaning dimensional vehicle. So it's a vehicle to ride through the dimensions. Okay. So that's just something I just want to get into that as well. So, but even with that, I'll transfer over into what I was about to speak on with the, with the Dogon tribe. Now, remember I said earlier that in the book that was given to me as a gift, it spoke about um, Sirius, but it didn't speak about the Dogon. So, which I, I, you know, I took issue with because you can't truly speak about the Syrian, um, the Syrian mystery and not speak about the Dogon because none of these other cultures speak on the Syrian mystery, the star mystery. They don't speak about Sirius. They don't give you the information that the Dogon gave. So, and again, this, I mentioned this, I went into the Dogon in my book, who is Elohim? Because as I mentioned before, in chapter 11, it says that the Hebrews called these seven spirits Elohim. Remember, Elohim is the seven seven creative spirits that created everything that ever was, is, and ever more to be, right? The Hebrews called these seven spirits Elohim. So that means that if the Hebrews called them Elohim, what did the other nations call them, right? And even in chapter 10, in verses 18 and 19, it says that man names the part of Allah he sees, and this to him is all of Allah. And every nation sees a part of Allah, and every nation has a name for Allah. You Brahmins call him Padabram. In Egypt, he is Thoth. And Zeus is his name in Greece. Jehovah is his Hebrew name, but everywhere he is the cause's cause the rootless root from which all things have grown. So likewise, if there's a nation, there's, um, 
every nation has a name for the causeless cause and rootless root from which all things have grown, then surely these nations would also have a name, their own personal name, for the seven created spirits. So with that said, in other cultures, Elohim are named various things like angels, guardians, or star people. The Hopi tribe of the Navy Americans identify the Elohim as Anasazi Kachina. The Yoruba tribe of West Africa identifies them as the Orisha. The people of ancient Kemet use the term Neteru. The ancient Sumerians called the Elohim the Anunnaki. And the Dogon tribe of Mali, West Africa, used the term Nomo. Now, who are the Dogon? The Dogon are a tribal group inhabiting the central plateau region of the country of Mali near the city of Bandiagara in the Mopti region. Their population is between 400,000 and 800,000. And they are known mostly for their spiritual teachings and customs, their mass dances, sculpture, and architecture. Now, when we speak about the Nomo, the Nomo are the ancestral spirits sometimes identified as gods worshipped by the Dogon. The word Nomo is derived from a Dogon word meaning to make one drink. Now, here's the thing. The Nomo are often called masters of water the monitors and the teachers. So there we go with that thing again about the water. Okay. So this is going to be very important here. Okay. Now, Nomo can be a proper name of an individual or the group of the spirits as a collective. Now, the Hogan is the spiritual leader of the Dogon village. So according to Dogon tradition, the first Hogan was extended from a nomo. He is equivalent to what would be called a grand sheik in the Moor Science Temple. And in fact, the word sheik comes from the Arabic word sheikh, which means elder. So the Hogans are actually elders. The Hogan is elected from among the elders of the extended families within the village. Now, after the election, they, they have to go through a six-month initiation procedure. Throughout this initiation, the Hogan wears white clothing and no one is permitted to touch him. After the initiation, he wears a red fez. And the red fez also happens to be the traditional male headdress for the members of the Moorish Science Temple of America. Right? Now, there's a book that you can look up. It is called Pale Fox. And I would highly recommend that you go out and get that book. There's a, there's a few books on the Dogon and the Syrian star mystery, but that is a great one. So, and remember I talked about Sirius A and Sirius B on um, the fact that Sirius B um has an orbit cycle that takes 50 years. Okay. The Dogon also possessed knowledge of the rings of Saturn and the moons of Jupiter. And in my book, I put in, um, basically a lot of, um, 
pictures that were drawings, Dogon drawings. And um, interestingly enough, in my when I was just looking back, there's one particular there is one particular drawing that I did not include that I wish I did include, but I will speak on it now. And basically it was, it had uh, what looks to be like a, a little circle and almost like a, the tail end of a double helix. It almost would remind you of a sperm cell that has two tails. Cause you know, a sperm cell has one tail, but it looked like almost like it was the sperm cell with two tails, but, but what it was actually describing was basically in essence, um, what you would call the, um, the aspect of the, um, the path of Sirius A and B. Now the Dogon has their drawing and you also have an astronomical drawing that scientists came with later. And it also explains, this is the interesting thing about it. It also explains how light operates as a particle and a wave. Now this is something that you know, a lot of people gave credit to, um, I believe, was Stephen Hawking, the scientist Stephen Hawking, and another one. But they can't even explain why that is, because it's a known fact that light somehow sometimes operates as a wave and sometimes it operates as a particle. When you're not viewing it, it's operating as a wave. When you're looking at it, it becomes stationary, the particle. So they're not able to explain it. However, the Dogon were able to explain it. And here's the interesting thing. Uh, I'm actually going to read uh, this account here. And it, and it goes, ties into what's known as the cosmic egg and Ama being the creator. Ama is in the Dogon cosmology is the name of the creator. Now, Ama, interestingly enough, is phonetically um, similar to Uma or Umi, and Umi is mother. Ama in Dogon cosmology is a female, not a male, right? Again, the woman being able to give birth. Okay. But this actually comes from, and this deals with the cosmic aid. The cosmic aid, for those who, who are not familiar with, is a common motif used in creation. Um, ancient Egyptians used it, ancient Phoenicians used it, the Chinese used it, and it's also in Dogon cosmology. So, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. This actually comes from a book entitled um, A Dictionary of African Mythology. Um, and um, you're going to see something very interesting. It says, in the beginning, Ama alone was in the shape of an egg. Four collarbones were fused, dividing the egg into air, 
earth, fire, and water, establishing four cardinal directions. Now, here's the thing about that. This ties into circle seven in chapter one, creation and fall of man. Because in it, it says, in the second paragraph, it says, Hear now ye cherubim, ye seraphim, ye angels, and ye men. Hear now, O protoplast, and earth, and plant, and beast. Hear now, ye creeping things of, the, of earth, ye fish that swim, ye birds that fly. Hear now, ye winds that blow, ye thunders, and ye lightnings of the sky. Hear now, ye spirits of the fire, of water, earth, and air. Hear now, O everything that is, or was, or evermore will be. For wisdom speaks out of the highest plane of life. So, again, you have those four classical elements spoken about in Dogon cosmology. Now, before I continue, it's very important to note that the way they broke it down from a scientific level is that it's explaining how from basically it starts that Ama was the egg in the center and it's dividing into what's known as the four cardinal directions right the four stages of matter or four cart or that's north cardinal directions that's north south east west as i mentioned before the four classical elements and each of those are stages of creation now they mentioned remember i said that in that book they said that there were four quadrants okay those are sections of the brain right and they also said that this deals with um aspects of stages four dimensions four time dimensions cosmic creation cosmic ascension cosmic synchronization and cosmic cube okay that's what they teach but in terms of the realm you're dealing with creation and matter as a wave when you get to water and then by the time you get to earth you're getting to the the mass or the particle Okay, fire would be the process of transformation and the wind would be the vibration. So you're dealing with all of these different sciences and there's so much more I can get into with this, um, but it's really deep. Just to let you know that when you deal with the four corners of the world, it's much more than what we check, believe it to be. But We'll get into that another time. And until that time, peace and love.